Uh, so as Ben said, we've got two readings tonight. Uh, first one from Psalm 103 and then the second from Matthew 18, 15 to 35. Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his way to Moses uh, and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows, uh, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows, blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness is with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants, who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. So we've got our second Bible reading from Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, starting at verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by a testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen to even the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I truly, truly I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Uh, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to set, settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. 
Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In, his, in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Thanks, Gib. Well, good evening. It's good to, good to be with you. Keep your Bibles open at Matthew 18 as we uh, consider this, uh, this passage. This is the last of our uh, Matthew series for this year. We will continue on into uh, Matthew 19 uh, and following next year. Um, next week, I believe, where um, Ben's preaching on uh, a, a doctrine uh, sermon on the canon of Scripture. Is that right? I'm looking forward to that. Um, but for now, Matthew 18, put your hand up if you like conflict. You're kind of ready to, yeah, there's a few. Uh, maybe I should put it another way. Uh, if, put your hand up if you like being involved in conflict. I'm guessing that there may be many people that actually, actually they like observing conflict, maybe on the sporting field or uh, uh, maybe in the TV drama or whatever it is. Um, but I, I would think it's probably fair that very few of us actually like being involved in conflict or interpersonal conflict. Um, and yet, the reality is that conflict is actually part of life. It's, it's something that... Uh, that finds us all and that involves us all in different ways. It's true of all people. It's true of Christian people, of those who follow Jesus. We're involved in conflict. Sometimes, perhaps often, that conflict involves sin. We sin against others, others sin against us, so we, we fail to do what is right in God's eyes. So what do we do when a fellow brother, Christian brother or sister fails, when they sin against us? Jesus has quite a lot to teach us in this passage before us tonight. But before we dive into listening to what Jesus has to say, perhaps it would be good for us to consider some of the, uh, what I call the failed ways that we respond to the failure of others. Um, is this working? We've got this? Here we go. I've got the power. I do have the power. So the first failed, whoops, failed way to respond is to talk about rather than talk to Peoples, to talk about people rather than talk to them. So, the way that goes, your brother or sister in Christ sins against you, and so you go and point out their fault to a bunch of your sympathetic friends and help your friends to see what a terrible thing it was that your brother or sister did. Uh, no, that's not what Jesus says to do, is it? Sometimes it happens a bit like this, well, your brother or sister sins, and so you, you go tell the minister so that he can be triangulated into having a chat with them about what they, you did, what they did to you. And no, that's not a good way to go. Well, actually, worse still, you talk to your sympathetic friends and then go to the minister and say, everyone is saying that so-and-so shouldn't have done that, so can you please go and have a talk to them? That never happens, does it, Ben? 
Now, I, I should give a qualifier at this point. So, sometimes talking to someone else about what someone's done can be helpful. It can be helpful if, if the, uh, the, the motivation is to, to seek wisdom, to seek advice, to get some helpful perspective on things, maybe some advice on how you can go about um, uh, dealing with this or talking to your brother or sister. But only speaking about your brother or sister rather than to your brother and sister, that's a failed way of dealing with failure. Um, another way can be to not say anything, just let things slide. Now, depending on the, the nature of the sin or the failure and depending on the person's response to it, there can certainly be a time where it's appropriate to, to let things slide. Maybe they already realise what they did and maybe what they need from you is actually forgiveness and grace rather than having their faults kind of itemised for them. So there can be a place for letting things slide. But to take a position of, of never saying anything, that can end up just being actually permissive and saying, in effect, well, it's fine to sin. It doesn't matter. If the youth group leader is sleeping with his girlfriend and no one says anything, everyone is, in fact, saying, it's not sin. The Bible says very clearly that sexual relationships outside of marriage are sin. By not saying anything, we're in effect saying either it's, it's not sin or it doesn't matter if you sin, which is wrong and terribly unhelpful for, for them and for everyone. Uh, the other problem with not saying anything is it can lead to what I call the, the volcano effect. You know, where you, you don't say anything, you keep it all suppressed underground. And the pressure slowly builds till eventually something cracks the surface and kaboom, the volcano explodes and you let rip and you tell them how terrible they are. Uh, being permissive, not saying anything, is not the way to go. Uh, neither is the opposite. The opposite can be equally unhelpful. To, to be constantly kind of on the lookout for the sins of others so that you can jump on it and say, aha, look what you did a moralistic kind of spot it and stop it campaign, that is, that, that's miles away from what Jesus teaches here. You know, it's like the, the parent who's constantly finding fault in their children or the spouse who's, who's watching constantly to get ammunition for the next round of conflicts. Or like the, the water polo player who, who pushes themselves up high in the water by pushing the other people down below the water. So there's many ways that we can deal, fail to deal with failure, uh, including those ways of talking about someone rather than to them, being permissive, not saying anything, or being condemning and, and highlighting every fault. Now, maybe before we jump in and look at what Jesus says, it, it's probably helpful for us just to kind of humbly recognise that we're probably guilty of doing all of these things at various times. Uh, put ourselves on the same page, to come at this humbly, to come to God's Word and seek to listen to what Jesus says and to then seek to do things His way. Because in contrast to, to our failed ways of dealing with failure, Jesus gives us here what, what I'll call four steps to dealing with the sin of a brother or sister. Um, notice, first of all, though, that it's talking about a, a brother or sister in Christ, a, a fellow Christian. That's what's on view here. Uh, Jesus says, verse 15, 
If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Now, depending which um, translation you have, uh, you might have an English standard version, ESV translation, and it, it, it says there, if your brother or sister sins against you, it, it adds those words in. Some translations have it, some translations don't. In either case, there should be a little footnote that says, that explains the, um, the discrepancy, the variation. And so you might think, well, which is it? Is it if your brother or sister sins, or is it if your brother or sister sins against you? Um, I think it's a bit of a line ball as to whether Matthew's original gospel included against you and the scribes for some reason, some scribes have dropped it off, or whether the other way around, it, it, uh, it, it wasn't in there and some scribes have for some reason added it in. It only makes a, a subtle difference and actually what Jesus says makes sense either way, as I, I hope we'll see. It is interesting that in Peter's follow-up question of Jesus, he uh, speaks of my brother or sister who sins against me. Uh, so that's in his mind. Maybe that's a, that sort of tips us towards including it in verse 15. At either way, uh, it doesn't really matter if I've lost you, come back. Step one, if your brother or sister sins or sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Uh, or as the ESV says, between you and him alone. Have we got that there? Yeah, there we are. Uh, between you and him alone. Now, that is a, a great first step, a great principle. Sometimes when we, when we do that, we discover that actually the conflict isn't a matter of sin. It's more a matter of misunderstanding or miscommunication. And we, had, we thought one thing, but actually the reality was something different and you can helpfully clear things up and, and move forward. But if it does turn out to be a matter of sin, notice the goal of speaking to them. It, well, notice what it's not. It's, it's not to condemn them. It's not to get one up on them. It's not to seek revenge. It's not even to seek justice. You, know, you did this, therefore there needs to be consequences. I mean, don't get me wrong, justice is a good thing, a, a right thing, but, but that's not what Jesus is saying is the goal or motivation here. What's the goal? The goal is to win them over. Or as the ESV more literally puts it, to gain your brother. It's to, to bring them back, to, to bring realisation on their part, repentance, restoration and, and reconciliation. So our, our motivation in this, put it this way, it ought not to be about us, but about them. It's not about us and our grievances, our rights, our vindication, but about them and their godliness. Our desire is to, to love them by helping them to, to not continue in, in unrepentant sin. We want to gain our brother or sister back. It's like what Paul says in Galatians 6, uh, 1 to 3. It'll come up on the screen here. He says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they're nothing, they deceive themselves. There's a lot in that, and, and this is not a sermon on Galatians 6, but just notice three things. The goal is to restore a brother or sister who's caught in sin. That's, that's the motivation, to bring them back, to win them back, same as Matthew 18. It's to do it gently, and it's to do it with, with a humility that watches ourselves guarding against our own sin. 
Perhaps in doing that, the sin of judgmentalism and one-upmanship, we're to watch ourselves and guard ourselves. So step one, Jesus says, go to them, go to your brother or sister, just the two of you, seek to win them back. But if they won't listen, you go to step two, take one or two others along. Now, importantly, notice, notice why. Why do you take one or two others on, along? It's not a case of grabbing your besties who tend to always sort of see things your way anyway and sort of go in force as some kind of power move. No, no, the one or two others are, are there as witnesses. Perhaps they're additional witnesses to the sin so that it's not just, you know, your word against theirs. Or maybe they're witnesses of the conversation between the two of you helping to, to sort of move the dispute forward. Uh, either way, witnesses are only called in because there is a dispute, because there's opposition. You only need witnesses if there's something disputed and you're trying to get to the truth. Hopefully, if you, your brother or sister can see, it's not just you who's concerned about them, not just you concerned about their behaviour, but actually other people are seeing things the same way. Hopefully, they will listen and, and respond rightly. But, verse 17 they refu still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. What does that look like? How do you do that? Um, is, is that with or without their consent? Uh, how do you do it in a, in a modern Australian context? Where, where does it sit with defamation laws? Is it, this is a complex question. It's tricky, but I, I guess leaving aside for, for a minute our own situation, and look at what Jesus does and doesn't say here. Jesus is not talking about kicking someone out of the church or excommunicating them. Now, there are other passages in the Scriptures like uh, 1 Corinthians 5 and Romans 16, verse 17, Titus 3, 10 to 11, that, that speak along those lines. But I don't think Jesus in Matthew 18 is talking about kicking people out of the church. It, it says, if they refuse to, to listen to you, if they refuse to listen to, to you and one or two other witnesses, then... Tell it to the church, again, with the hope that they will listen to the church. So the motive is not to sort of expel them from the church or, or even to warn the church of them and their sin, though that may be appropriate and necessary at times. The, the, the motivation is, is still to, to have them listen, to, to win them over, to see them repentant and restored as a brother or sister in Christ. And so the, the telling to the church... Well, whatever that looks like, however you go, we go about that, and perhaps we can think and talk about that later. The goal of that is, is in order to, to strengthen and widen the witness, such that hopefully they would they'd wake up to themselves, realise it's not just the opinions of, of one or two people against theirs, that they actually face the choice of refusing to listen to the church and continuing on their way, or repenting and being restored. Now, if they refuse to listen even to the church, what then? Expel them, condemn them, have nothing to do with them? Well, no, that's, that's not what Jesus says is the next step. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, treat them. If they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Again, as the ESV puts it, let him be to you 
and the you is, there we are, the you is singular there. This is talking about what, what you are going to do, singular, not what the church is doing, but let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, for Jesus to say that to Jews, he's saying, regard them as, a, as an outsider. Let your relationship to them be to that of an outsider. You've gone to them as a brother or sister in Christ. You've sought to gain them back as a brother or sister in Christ, but they continue to refuse to listen to them. Despite all your efforts, you've, you've done what you can. Let it go. Your, your commitment to them as a brother or sister, to do what you can, to see them won over, to see them won, brought out of their sin, your commitment is over. It has limits. There can come a time where there's nothing more to do other than to treat them as you would treat anyone who's a pagan or a tax collector which is not to write them off and ignore them i mean just think for a moment how did jesus regard tax collectors he he loved them he called them to himself he welcomed them he called on them to repent but he welcomed them and jesus taught us how to relate to our enemies where to love our enemies where to pray for our enemies that they would be saved. So to let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector, I take it that means treat them as you would treat anyone who hasn't yet come to repentance. We continue to, to bring the gospel to bear in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. <clears throat> so Jesus here lays out... Um, Four steps to, to dealing with the sin of a brother or sister in Christ. But I think perhaps calling it four steps is maybe a little bit unhelpful. It, it's kind of helpful for breaking down the passage, but it kind of implies it's, it's neat and simple and you go, you know, step one, step two, step three, which in reality, it's, it's not neat or clear or simple. It can be messy. It can require great wisdom, great humility and grace as, as we, we navigate this. So, for example, perhaps you, you speak to someone and seemingly win them over, they, they, they realise what they've done, they're repentant, but then the next week they do the same thing again. You go, well, does that mean they didn't listen? So, okay, step two, I need to go with someone. Well, does it mean that? Maybe. Or, or maybe it just means that, like you, they're, they're a sinner who's still struggling with that particular sin and, and, and what they need from you is is not kind of escalating judgment but actually they need grace and forgiveness and humility the important thing is we navigate the kind of messiness of this and, and think this through the important thing i think that will help us to do that is to grasp the the overarching motive the thing that's that's driving this it must be one of of love for our brothers and sister love that that actually wants to see them not not caught up in continuing in unrepentant sin, but, but to see them restored, see them forgiven, see them continuing with us as a fellow brother and sister in Christ. And friends, this really matters. I mean, this matters because it actually has eternal consequences, which I think is the, the point of the, the next slightly strange to our ears thing that Jesus says. There in verse, uh, look at there in verse 18. Jesus says, truly, I, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. 
Again, truly, I tell you that if two or three of you, th- uh, two, sorry, two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Jesus says what we do on earth has a, has a heavenly, eternal effect. And in the context of what he's just said, I, I take it he's saying as we deal with our brother or sister who has sinned against us, as we declare to them the judgment of God, binding them in God's judgment, or, or as we declare to them the mercy of God, loosing them by God's mercy, as we do that, so God in heaven is bringing judgment, God is bringing mercy upon them. It's in the, the work of the declaration of the gospel that, that heaven and earth interact our Father in heaven is, is at work through such binding and loosing ministry of His people. Because as He says, where two or three gather in His name, there is He with them. Heaven has come to earth in that sense. So, so this, this love-motivated, restorative-directed ministry of the gospel of Jesus in the lives of His people, as we, we deal with one another, even as we can conflict with one another, as we, we, we sin and re- repent and forgive he is with us in this, working through us to, to bring about the kingdom of heaven. That's a pretty big deal. So, love for our brother or sister, a brother or sister who sins against us, this, this motivates us, this love motivates us, we, we speak to them, hopefully it leads them to, to listen, to repent, to seek our forgiveness question then is will we forgive what if it's not the first time or the second time what if it's the second time or the or the third time or the or the fifth time it's happened peter has the same thought he questions jesus verse 21 peter came to jesus and asked lord how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Now, it's interesting. I reckon Peter was probably trying to be generous here. Uh, you know, not just talk about second chances and third chance or fifth chance. Seven, seven times. Surely that's, that's generous, right? He's going all out. Jesus answers, verse 22, I tell you, not seven times. But 77 times or it could actually be 70 times 7 which um quick maths 490 um but jesus point is not he's not saying look yep keep counting until you get to 77 no he's saying don't count it's not about it's not about keeping score tallying up infringements as if it's you know forgive 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 but when you get to when you get to seven seven well next time condemn no we're we're to be people of of abundant forgiveness 77 type forgiveness excessive forgiveness you could say um jesus use of the number 77 it's likely a reference to, to lamech from genesis 4 i don't know if you remember lamech from genesis 4 you go and read about him like actually it, 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 he's a nasty piece of work he, he boasted to his wives and said this, he said, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. 
If Cain is avenged seven times, Lamech, 77 times. It's always funny when people use their own name speaking about themselves anyway. Um, Lamech is a man of vengeance. I mean, someone's wounded him and he kills them. Excessive vengeance, avenging 77 times. Jesus says, don't be like Lamech with excessive vengeance. Be like Jesus with excessive forgiveness. Jesus who responded to the sin of the world, not with condemnation, but with mercy, forgiveness, grace that that took him to the cross to die to pay for the debt of our sin himself so that we could be forgiven. Jesus calls us to, to forgive much just as we have been forgiven much. And that's the point of this, uh, this brilliant parable that Jesus tells uh, of the king and his servants. This, this king who brings judgment uh, as he settles the accounts with his servants. The, the, the trouble with such a brilliant parable is, it, I mean, it, it tells itself. And if you kind of haven't got it from reading, what, what am I going to add by preaching on it? But let me just draw out a few things. Uh, one of the servants who comes to the, to the king as he's judging, settling his accounts, verse 24 said, he owed 10,000 bags of gold. Now just kind of picture 10,000 bags of gold. That's, that, that's, that's a lot of gold, right? Um, literally, as the ESV puts it, it's 10,000 talents. Now, talent, um, you might have a footnote. If your eyes are younger than mine, you can read the footnotes. Um, that says that a talent was worth about, what is it, 20 years of a day labourer's wages. One talent, 20 years pay. This servant owes 10,000 talents. Quick maths, 200,000 years wages. The point of it is it's, it's just an impossibly large debt. I mean, Jesus could have said he owed a, a gazillion, billion, trillion dollars. Like, that's kind of the point of it. Now, verse 25, since he was not able to pay, obviously, the master ordered that uh, he, his wife, his children, all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The master's going to recoup something towards the debt. But at this, verse 26... At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Notice the servant asks for patience, for for time to to, to try to pay back this impossibly large debt. He, He asks for patience, but instead the master gave him mercy, forgiveness. Uh, Verse 27 says, the servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, literally forgave the debt, so it's the same word, and let him go. He released him. So this forgiven servant, what did he do? Well, he, he went out, verse 28, and he found uh, one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Footnote there, hundred denarii, which... One denarii is about one day's wage. He owed 100 days' wages, a tiny amount in comparison to 200,000 years' wages. This servant grabbed, uh, grabbed, grabbed his fellow servant, whoops, no, gone too far, began to choke him, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Notice he says almost exactly the same thing that the first servant said to the king. He too asks for, for patience so that he can repay the debt. But verse 30, 
He refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. In other words, until never. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, the point is is simple yet profound. If we are forgiven servants of the King, if, we, if our Heavenly Father has mercifully forgiven us the, the enormous debt that we have due to our sin, which would be impossible for us to somehow deal with on ourselves, by ourselves, if we've been forgiven such a, an impossibly large amount by God, how can we stand in condemnation over our brother or sister in Christ and withhold forgiveness? If we are people of forgiveness by God's mercy, we must be people of forgiveness who show mercy to others. But turn it around the other way, as Jesus does. If we refuse to forgive others, well, that's a sign that, that we, like the first servant, haven't really understood forgiveness ourselves we haven't understood it we haven't embraced it perhaps we're blind to the impossibly large debt that that we've been forgiven jesus says you must forgive your brother or sister from your heart or god will not extend his forgiveness to you now a lot more can and kind of needs to be said about forgiveness forgiveness is a big topic um Sometimes forgiveness is quick and easy. Other times it's slow, very slow, and very difficult and painful. Uh, Sometimes it can take time to to feel the effect of forgiveness. Sometime after the decision to forgive, the decision to release the other person from their debt to you, the the decision to, to head in the direction of forgiveness... Uh, forgiveness doesn't, also doesn't mean that there aren't, you know, there's no consequences in this world. There, there often are, and that's right. Uh, forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean full restoration of, of relationship. That will depend on a number of things, including the other person's recognition of their sin and, and their willingness to repent and seek to change. Forgiveness can be tricky. But as people who have been forgiven much by our gracious Heavenly Father. We, we must strive to be, to be people whose knee-jerk response, whose from-the-heart response, as Jesus puts it, is to, to forgive others and to do that in response to God's forgiveness of us. What are the implications of God's Word to us tonight? For some, for some of us, maybe for many of us, this, this could be a live one. Maybe someone has sinned against you. Maybe someone has come to you uh, in telling you of your sin against them. Or maybe it's a bit of both. Maybe there's some conflict going on. How are you going to respond? 
I pray that, it, that you will respond, that we will respond with gentleness, with humility, with wisdom, with repentance, with forgiveness and a desire to pursue restoration and reconciliation. I pray that we will respond with, with that abundant, excessive, 77-fold love and forgiveness that reflects God's abundant, excessive, 77-fold love and forgiveness of us. How about I lead us in prayer, and then um, I don't know if we're going to have time for song, then questions. But let's um, let's come before God and, and ask that He would help us as we do as we do this. Let's pray. Our heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ, for His death and resurrection for us. We thank you that that He didn't come into this world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Father, we know that we deserve your condemnation and yet you are merciful on us. Father, we are sorry for our sin. We are sorry we sin against you. We're sorry that we sin against our brothers and sisters. We're sorry for our failings and, and we pray that by your spirit that you would lead us to repent, to apologise, to seek to be reconciled. Father, you know the hurts that we suffer from other people, using us, abusing us, not treating us properly. Father, we pray that you would give to us that same generosity, that same graciousness, that same mercy and forgiveness that you have. That our concern would be for our enemy's salvation and, and not for our own feelings. Father, we pray that we may speak to, to others for their benefit, that we may bring witness, we may bring the church to them for their benefit and not for ours. And we pray that you would give us grace and wisdom to know how to do this. Father, we pray too for your spirit to, to take away from us those, those hurts that can't be resolved in this world, knowing that you are in control and that all things will come to you and be dealt with you properly in due time. So, Father, we pray for your help. We beg for your mercy that there may be no conflicts amongst us. But when there are, Father, we, we ask that you'd enable us to do as our Lord has taught us, so that we might bring honour and glory to him, even in our conflicts. And we ask this in his name. Amen.